Hey, Drinking Buddies. You've been so amazing with your support of our pop-up events, and we're working hard with vendors like Okayama Kobo Bakery, Sujita Ramen, Tanota Takoyaki, Shinsengumi, and more to bring your favorite Japanese bites to a location near you. You can pre-order and pick up food safely and conveniently at the Loaf Bakery in Santa Clarita on the 12th, Killer Nero Sujita and Sawtell on the 13th, and at Boba Arras in Santa Margarita and Ding Tea in Tustin on the 17th. Head to our website and sign up to get links and details for all our pop-ups sent right to your inbox. See you at a pop-up near you. Hey, before we get started, I just wanted to let you know there's going to be an exclusive coupon code for listeners to the Drinking Buddy show at the end of this episode. Enjoy the show, then enjoy some local beer and sake. And when I opened the bottle, it blew up. I did not think that the sake was still fermenting in the bottle. I was like, wow, sake is alive. This is The Drinking Buddy Show, where we explore food, craft, beverage pairings, and the entrepreneurs and tastemakers behind them. I'm Frank, founder of Drinking Buddy Artisan Snacks. I've got a great show for you today. Emiko Tanabe and James Jin, the duo behind LA's own Nova Brewing Company, join me to share their story. This is part one of our conversation. It's hard to believe, but LA only recently got its first sake brewery. New York, Oakland, Seattle, San Diego, even Hallbrook, Arizona had sake breweries pop up before we did. Novo Brewing Company owner Emiko Tanabe spotted an opportunity to bring the craft of sake making to the biggest city on the West Coast and partnered up with aspiring brewer James Jen to make it happen. My name is Emiko, born and raised in Japan and moved to US about five years ago. Can I ask where in Japan you grew up? Niigata. So you're in a place that's well known for rice and therefore sake. Correct. Correct. Uh, I was running my own business when I was in Japan. Actually in Kyoto, I had a vitamin store. So kind of like health supplements, that sort of thing? Right, right. And I like to do another business in the States too. I wanted to do the same thing here, but... There are so many competition here, so I cannot do it here. I wanted to do something related to food or beverage. So I looked into restaurants or cafes, but there was too much competition. So I thought sake brewery might be the good one. And I like manufacturing. I like to make something original. And I wanted to do something related to Japan. So making sake was good fit for me. So there are sake breweries in New York, San Francisco, Texas, Seattle, Oregon, or even in San Diego, but not in LA. So why not? That's how I started this brewery. How long ago were you starting Nova Brewing Company? I started looking for the place, I think it was summer 2019. But I've got the place December of 2019. I was just looking at several places. I was going to start from scratch, but then I found the place that has both wine and beer license, which I would need for sake production. And I just got into the winery. Then I asked the owner and he said he wants to sell it. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to buy it. And did you have a lot of challenges starting a business here? Yes, because English is my second language. And there is absolutely no one helping me purchasing business or getting through all the transfer and new license approval. I had to talk to the seller, the lawyer, city, ABC, TTB, 
everything to get all the approval and conditional permit and so on. All the terminology and communication was pretty hard for me. And the hardest part is because I didn't know if I can have all the permit and licenses for the sake production. Nobody guaranteed that. And I already put quite a bit of money on it. So I was very nervous and worried about the license. How did it feel once you got through all of it? Oh my God, just, <laughs> it just feel good, you know? I didn't have to waste all the money. And were you living on savings at this point? Well, I have an other business. I'm distributing soy paper products to the Japanese distribution company. Soy paper is to roll sushi for somebody who cannot accept the nori. They can use soy paper as an alternative. So if they don't want to eat nori or seaweed, then they have soy paper. Right. So you're basically running two businesses at the same time. Correct. That sounds a little stressful. Oh, it's enjoyable. What was it like when you first started? Well, we have a tasting room before COVID. People come to the tasting room and they think it's just bar. So they ask for Budweiser, Modelo. Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, they just don't know we're making craft beer or craft sake. So they're coming to bar. That's where it was. But now it started to become more like tasting room. Now, how did you meet James? So I have another business here. I'm selling the soy paper to Japanese distributor. And he was sales there. And I went there for the sales. My name is James. I was born in Long Beach, California. Grew up mostly in the downtown LA area. The first time I got into the whole Japanese culture was in high school. I was required to uh, take a foreign language. Japanese was one of the options, so I took Japanese. It was just casual. But I went on to college, started learning this language, so I'll just keep learning it. And then one day, the college announced that they're sending a group of us to Japan in Tokyo for a month for studying Japanese. So that was the first time I went to Japan. And when I went there, I was culture shocked. Everything is so different. I fell in love immediately with the beauty of the nature, the structures, the food. I felt attracted to Japanese women as well. It was just so much color. You can just walk around any street and you find so many things, even like small izakayas that look so colorful and cozy. And I just fell in love with everything about Japan. That's when I decided I'm going to live in Japan in the future. So I came back to U.S. I started my own Japanese club at my college. I kept studying Japanese language all day, watching Japanese dramas, movies, animes, mangas, cooking Japanese food. Me and my friend, we were always looking for Japanese friends to talk to so that we can practice our language. After two years, I decided to transfer to UCLA as a Japanese major. I met a couple of Japanese friends, kept studying. And my last semester, I decided to do an exchange program that took me to Kyoto Dojisha University. I lived in Kyoto under that exchange program for six months. And that was probably one of the best time of my life. Kyoto is such a beautiful city. I was living my dream. I remember Sakura falling and I was riding bicycle to school and I was meeting so many people, you know, local people and people, other friends that are also into Japanese culture. 
started to drink a lot with my friends. After finishing my program, I didn't go back home. So I went to Guma and I became an English teacher. There was nothing there but rice fields. And I was pretty isolated. There was no other foreigners there. Not many young people there either. I did not go out at all. Guma is known for their cabbages. So I ate cabbage every day, saving money. And I was like, I'm going to travel the world now. So I put my whole life into my backpack and then I just left. I first went to China, but then I went to like 25 countries in Europe and Asia. And once I got to Thailand, I was going through a little bit of identity crisis. I was not happy with who I was. I was not happy with how I was raised where I grew up as a Korean American. I was able to create a new identity. And I was telling everybody that I'm half Japanese because I can speak Japanese. I was pretty fluent by then. I started working for hotel reservation company as Japanese customer support. I even did sales for a coupon company where I was selling to Japanese restaurants. But then I decided to start my own business and that didn't go well. I lost everything. So I came back to U.S., and I did a few jobs, and then I found Mutual Trading, which is a Japanese distributor, and they also own Sake School of America. Before then, I was only just drinking hot sake when I go to sushi restaurants. I never really got to taste premium sake. When I first tasted that Jumai Daiginjo sake, I was looking around and shocked at how good it was. I was like, why aren't more Americans drinking this stuff? It's you know, 16% alcohol, but you don't taste any alcohol. It's just so clean, so fruity, so easy to drink. I felt like a lot of Americans have a misconception. A lot of them think it's distilled alcohol. That's how I thought, too, that it was just very strong liquor. But I got really into sake at that point. Sake School of America offered many courses. I became sake sommelier. I took the Shochu Advisor class. They even offered WSET in Wine and Spirits, so I took that class. I just got obsessed. Until this time, I was drinking just to get drunk. It was pretty bad. This studying about sake, beer, Shochu became sort of an alternative of me drinking and getting drunk. But I was more interested in the production aspect. So whenever I was reading about sake, I was always reading into how they make it, how they turn just water and rice into this fruity, amazing drink. I started to homebrew beer just for the fun of it. And I fell in love with brewing at home because instead of getting beer from the store, I realized that making your own beer and drinking it fresh it tastes so good. At that time, it was just a homebrew kit, so it wasn't really my recipe. After homebrewing beer for a while, I found sake yeast at a homebrew shop. And then it sat in my fridge for a couple of weeks. And then I was like, oh, I should use that sake yeast. So I bought some regular table rice and I found koji at the supermarket. I just threw everything in and then I watched it ferment. It started to bubble and smell. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. So that's when I really started to get into making sake. And after that, I got some koji king, which is the bacteria for it. I started this whole project to make koji at home. So I bought icebox. I bought hot water container to keep the icebox warm, to create a warm atmosphere. I bought steamer. I just started making koji at home. I failed a lot. 
I didn't know how much moisture is supposed to be in the rice. So I would sometimes have too much moisture in the rice, too little moisture in the rice, and the koji would just not grow properly. I think after like 15 attempts, I finally got it down. I fermented some sake with it. And I took it to a party. And when I opened the bottle, it blew up. I did not think that the sake was still fermenting in the bottle. I was blown away. I was like, wow, sake is alive. And I love that part. I don't know how honest they were, but <laughs> my friends really liked it. But I started to look into why that happened. And that's when I started to get into namazake, fresh and unpasteurized and enzymes and the yeast is still alive in the bottle. When we come back, James shares stories from his time as a sake brewing apprentice at Inaba Shuzo. Thanks for listening so far. If you enjoy the show, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. Then head to www.thedrinkingbuddyshop.com and pick up some tasty pub snacks, barware, and more. Every purchase he makes helps us support small family-owned businesses in rural Japan and bring you more delicious, unique snacks to pair with your favorite beverages. Special thanks to all of you that have already started enjoying our snacks and sharing them with your buddies. I quit mutual trading and I went to Japan to take apprenticeship at a sake brewery called Inaba Shuzo, Inaba Brewery in Ibaraki. I met them while I was at mutual trading. I chose to go to Inaba Shuzo because they were promoting themselves as handcrafted. A lot of other big brands, they're using a lot of machines, but they are still using hand techniques. And that's what I wanted to learn. Of course, I love their sake as well. Their sake was rich in flavor. It had a really unique aroma and taste to it that I really liked. So I asked them if I can come over. They said yes. They gave me free boarding and free rice. So the Toji is Inaba-san. It's a couple that manages the brewery. And she turned the brewery around. She modernized their brewing techniques and she made it more attractive to the younger audience, making the Stella sake, which is stars. And she promoted it as sake that was created when she was looking at the stars in the middle of the night. So when I went there, I was expecting to work kind of like a busboy in a brewery where I would be just packaging and following orders. But surprisingly, they knew that I wanted to start a sake brewery. So uh, they put me up with their head brewer. His name is Matsura-san, but I was allowed to stick with him the whole time, morning to afternoon. I was following him around. He let me do things that only head brewers would do, analyzing the sake, putting koji king on the rice. I was surprised at how much knowledge he gave me working there. He taught me a lot, starting from like how much the moisture level in the rice affects how well it melts in the mash how rice works with the water while it's getting soaked, like every little detail. He gave me so much information that I learned a lot, almost everything about sake brewing in the couple months that I stayed there. You know, it was the beginning of winter season, so it was very cold. They gave me lodging inside the brewery. There's an old house right next to the brewery, and that's where their ancestors used to live. It was a bit scary. They were using it as storage, so some rooms were always shut. They cleaned up this one small room. At night, you know, it would be completely dark. It's countryside. There's nothing but rice fields around there. I'm not usually scared of the dark, but it's just so dark that I started thinking about these Japanese ghosts. And they were telling me about these Japanese hogs that live in the forest. They sometimes come into the brewery, and when they see people, they attack you. 
I'm like, okay, that doesn't help because you know, I'm already scared by things that doesn't exist. But you're telling me something actually exists that attacks people. And I'm the only one there at night. And, you know, there's a lot of bugs, of course. And I'm a bonafide city boy, so I, I couldn't really get used to all the bugs. But uh, other than that, my work day at the brewery was very fruitful, very productive. Emiko shares how she took her idea and turned it into a reality with James. I knew he was taking the sake somewhere close, and I was in there too. And I know he was passionate about sake, and he wants to do something about production. And around the time he decided to go to Japan, that's around the time that I started to talk about、uh, what、well, I'm kind of thinking to purchasing the place. But after he c o m e back from Japan, that's where we decided, okay, you're going to come here and do it. Why did you want to become a sake sommelier? Was that just because you're thinking about starting the business? Well, I like sake as a art. It reminds me of my parents' house where I used to live. I know it's not popular in Japan, but I wanted to bring something to where I live. So that's one of the reasons why I became the sake sommelier. So it gave you a connection to your hometown. Right. And were you hoping to travel back and forth bringing sake from Niigata to the US? Yeah, I was thinking to import that too. But like James said, No one can bring real namazake from Japan to here. What I can do here is offering namazake here rather than bringing it from Japan. Of course, I would love to bring it from Japan, but there is something I can do here too. James shares details on the Gravity and Vacuum series of sake. Currently, we have Gravity and Vacuum. Vacuum, we're kind of fading out of this lineup, but we are focusing on Gravity. And the name itself was inspired by one of the most popular sake, Datsai Centrifuge. I always thought that name was so cool, Centrifuge. They call it Centrifuge because they put the Moromi, the rice mash, in a spinning machine. And while spinning, they're extracting the sake out. That was how I actually pressed sake at home. I put the rice mash in a straining bag. I bought a spinning dryer for laundry. I put the modem in there in a straining bag and it spinned and it extracted the sake. I think pressing is one of the most unique parts about sake brewing. You do press grapes in wine, but that's before fermentation. Sake is after fermentation. Depending on how you press, the sake can change in flavor. Figuring out how to press. Especially because we don't have Japanese equipment manufacturer that's always offering us products. We don't have any supplier that locally manufactures sake equipment. But the reason why Centrifuge makes really good sake is it doesn't completely press all the moromi. The more pressure you put on the rice, the more harshness, the harsh alcohol flavor.、So、centrifuge machine is able to extract the sake without crushing the rice. They call this the nakadori, which they consider the best part. I wanted to make sake without pressing too much. First thing I wanted to do was shizuku sake. Shizuku means drip. It's basically the first runoff of the sake. So you just let the moromi hang in a bag and you're just collecting whatever sake drips out. That's what our gravity is. And this lineup is also my favorite style, which is Moroka Nama Genshu. 
Murakami non-carbon filtrated, Nama means unpasteurized, and Genshu is undiluted. It's probably my favorite sake that I make. It has bold flavor and it's higher in acidity because it's not diluted. I like to make sake that are higher in acidity than traditional sake. Vacuum series is a Muroka Nama series. It's diluted down to 15%. Gravity is 17% and I dilute it down to 15%. In terms of polishing rate, we use 50% rice for both of these products. We haven't been calling our sake Junmai Daiginjo because I feel like this premium grading system is meant for sake made in Japan. It's a requirement for sake brewers to mention what style it is for tacking purposes. And it also, I think, applies more to Japanese sake rice. But here we're using Colorado's rice. As a sake brewer, I'm always thinking about our identity. Why do we do this? Why do we make sake here in California or even LA? Inaba Brewery, they were situated right under the mountain and they were surrounded by rice fields. So they got all these local rice farmers making sake rice for them and they were getting natural spring water from the mountain as well. They just have an abundance of really good water and rice. Whenever I'm brewing, I'm always thinking why I do this. The purpose of us being here is to make sake with Californian ingredients, to make local fresh nama sake. That's why we use kauros for everything, even koji. I think it's important that I connect with kauros. Kauros has a long history in California. It's made mostly in California. And for me as a brewer, what I believe is if you're a good brewer, you can make good sake with even kauros or any rice. What I learned in Japan almost didn't apply to what I had to learn here. I had to figure out how Californian rice works with Californian water. My goal is to create this relationship with Kauros. I want to understand that every time I'm brewing, every time I'm soaking the rice, I measure exactly how long it takes for the rice to absorb water. Thanks for listening to part one of our chat with Emiko and James of Noah Brewing Company. Be sure to check out part two next week. Find out more about Nova Brewing Co. by checking in the links in our episode description. Listeners of The Drinking Buddy Show get 10% off their online order at shop.novabrewingco.com. But don't wait to pick up handcrafted local sake. This offer ends on February 28th. Thanks for listening to The Drinking Buddy Show. Be sure to subscribe and share it with your buddies. Check out our latest artisanal snack offerings at www.thedrinkingbuddyshop.com. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Take care and drink well.